Welcome to 50 Years of Rainbow Activism, a podcast about change, love, resilience and the LGBTQI plus community in Scotland. My name's Dom and supported by Pink Saltire and Our Story Scotland. I spent a month travelling around the country interviewing members of the LGBTQI plus community who are aged over 50. In sharing their stories here, we want to celebrate what our community enjoyed today, reflect on what it was once like to be LGBTQI plus in Scotland, and now what it's like to be seen as a community elder. In this episode, you get to know Jenny and you meet her dogs. Hi, yeah, my name's Jenny Glenn. <laughs> nice to be here. I, I identify as a lesbian. Uh, well, I was born in 1964, so I'm 56, and I grew up in Minas Hill in Dundee. Jenny talks about growing up as a working class lesbian in Dundee, why representation matters and how her identity continues to inform her political beliefs. Well, when I was growing up I was quite a tomboy and I think I knew fairly early, definitely when I was at primary school, that I was different and um, that I suppose that feeling that I was in a you know, I never quite fitted in. I was I was a wee bit different with how I felt about things and the things that I liked about. So when all the wee girls around about uh, where I was growing up, because we grew up in um, a tenement in Minas Hill, so there was loads of kids. Probably in our block, there was about thirty kids. Everybody had three kids or two kids, four kids, and tenement next door was the same. So it was this whole pile kids that all played together and hang around together um, but I tended to you know play football hang about with the boys um, so I knew fairly young that I was I was different definitely um, and I think it was that transition from primary school to secondary school when I started to think about my sexuality um, and I realised that I had crushes on girls and, you know, it was much more at home with female company, I suppose. Yeah. So that's when I started to think about things. So quite a young age. Um, my parents, uh, we were a close family, but I think my mum had always wanted a wee girl. So the first baby she had was stillborn. Uh, was a, a girl because my mum was older so she was 41 when she had uh, me and Pete I think she was really pleased that she had a wee girl but I wasn't a traditional wee girl do you know what I mean so <laughs> she's always quite keen I had like long cuddly hair and she's always quite keen to get my hair short and get it all wavy and dress me in nice wee dresses and I was having none of it you know even for a very early age I just thought Nah, I'm much more happier running about in a pair of jeans and 
So it was interesting. Um, I was very close to my dad when I was growing up, and we used to go to the football match and things like that together. You know, so I spent a lot of time we boys and in boys' company, really. And that was fine in primary school. That was encouraged, and it was a laugh, and it was you know good fun. But when I got to secondary school, the rules changed slightly, and I realised that um, I had to be a girl, you know, I should get into more girly stuff and hang around with girls more. And I did that, but I was never 100% comfortable with it. I think in secondary school I had a harder time. So, um, you know, a bit of bullying and all that kind of thing. But I was able to stick up for myself because I had my brothers, it's quite protected. And then when I go to um, an older age in secondary school, was in like third and fourth year, I made some really close female girlfriends, and that made a lot of difference. But yeah, I had my first kind of sexual experiences with girls around sort of 14, 15. So yeah, I knew pretty early on. It was very, I think when I was growing up, you know, it was it was quite tough. You just had to get on with things, and um, I think it made me less confident and things like that. Also, I was a wee bit androgynous at the time, you know, because my mum was quite keen that I should have this quite smart hairstyle. Um, I could pass sometimes as a boy or a girl, you know, definitely went through that phase, and I could remember. Sometimes meeting my mum's pals when we were in the tune in Dundee and being, oh, your son, and I'm going, no, that's my daughter, actually. So I definitely was a wee bit androgynous. Um, and I felt, I could remember feeling quite uncomfortable about that at different times. So, like, I was really keen to get my ears pierced and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? So it was obviously a girl. But, um, so I got bullied for that, really. I got bullied because I looked different, you know what I mean? I wasn't a um, traditional wee lassie that was happy wearing skirts and things like that, when other people were. So it was always a wee bit odd, a wee bit different. Um, yeah, but in saying that, I survived secondary school quite well, mainly because of the friends that I made, and they were very protective. Also, at the time, we were, you know, it was a very working class area. A lot of our dads were pretty heavy drinkers, you know, so there was a lot of other things going on in people's lives other than just questions around um, gender or sexuality. You know, some of the bigger things were really about what was going on in families and how we looked after each other. Do you know what I mean? As friends. So that was um, another thing that kind of got us through. But I dated boys, I mean, even when it was uh, sort of 15, 16, I was going out with the boy next door, you know, we were all, all the girls had boyfriends and we kind of hung the hung out together as a wee gang. Um, and that was fine, but I definitely knew that I had a, a different life as well, you know, so although I had a boyfriend, I also had a girlfriend, I just we never ever talked about that or told anybody about it, so... I had these kind of secret relationships that were also going on, you know, which made life exciting, but sometimes a wee bit scary, you know. I also remember vampire movies on the TV. Vampire movies were great. 
because women always kissed women. It was the first time you saw that. It was amazing. <laughs> so I love vampire movies. I'm like, oh, can I start late and watch a vampire movie? But uh, so there's little things that you could pick up, but it was pretty hard going. And the other thing was things like Billie Jean King. When Billie Jean King, um, she never actually came up, but the story came into the press that she was having a relationship. She was married with another married woman, I believe, at the time. And, you know, that was amazing to read. Although she got slated, she's such a strong person that she was able to deal with that. So things were coming out that I could identify with, which helped me coming out. But, yeah, it wasn't a, what, I would con what I would describe as an easy time. It was quite difficult, yeah. Um, I think when I was about 15, maybe 15, something like that, I'd have to check all the dates. But um, Channel 4 started, and that was an amazing time for me, because I used to sneak up the stairs and watch Channel 4 on our little... Uh, TV, we had a wee, what do you call them, a wee toy TV that was on top of the wardrobe. Um, and Channel 4 was the first time that I heard people talking about uh, lesbianism and, or being gay. There was actually um, interviews on the telly. And I always remember Dusty Springfield got interviewed on a programme for the late Friday night on Channel 4 and the interview said to her, oh, there's some rumours that you're a lesbian. And she went, oh, well, uh, only at the weekend. And I thought, oh, my God, Dusty Springfield's a lesbian. <laughs> and that was like, oh, this is great. So that, it was, things were slow, slowly starting to change, but um, you were hard pushed to find any positive images or, um, you know, in the press, being uh, gay or being a lesbian was just horrendous. So a lot of the social media that was around at the time, the, well, social media before the internet, so the press um, and television was very, very heterosexual and very, very anti-gay. So you were seen as this kind of complete freak, actually. So little things like Channel 4 starting were amazing or anything that you could pick up. I had a friend at the time and we ended up having a sexual relationship and that was just amazing to me. It was just everything kind of fell together and I just thought yeah this is the person I am. I'm much more comfortable you know kissing a woman or being with a woman. So I was probably 16, 16 and a half at the time and I knew that it was something I couldn't have discussed with many people, as did she, but it was something that we had together. Um, so I came up to myself, I suppose, first, um, and to my girlfriend at the time, and we had a lot of conversations, and we'd go, you know, and look for books and, and look for things that we could relate to. Um, the women's press were around at the time. When I lived in Minas Hill, Municipal Library was another wee godsend because they had uh, lots of copies of women's press books. I think there must have been a lesbian librarian there, actually. Um, and although it was never, you know, overtly talked about, when I went into that library, the librarian would come across and say, oh, have a look at this. <laughs> and I'd be going, oh, okay, marvellous. So there was a few books I read as well at that time that was just fantastic. And, I forget the name of them, but there were, you know, one was a, a lesbian love story. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. It was a really positive story. And 
for the older generation, Catherine Kutzer was also very big at the time, and she had a book called Feathers in the Fire, and it, there was a lesbian character in it, and again, it was quite a positive, for what I could remember, quite a positive portrayal. So I'd started to investigate myself um, and look for things that I could relate to. Obviously, the women's movement was big at the time, and again, that was another thing that I got really, really involved in. So once I came out to myself, and I started a relationship, things sort of fell apart, and I actually thought, no, I'm, I can do with this, this is good, this is really positive, so if you're feeling a bit lost, and I don't know, like some kind of freaking nature, I actually started to find a community, you know, albeit it wasn't the people that I could speak to as such, but it was certainly stories that I could read, and things that I could explore myself. Um, I think there probably was a community, I just wasn't aware of it because I was too young. But no, my coming up was really we friends, people my age at the time, you know, and it was very sort of tentative, just checking things out. Um, and once I got into my first relationship, we never, we weren't a part of a lesbian or gay community at all. There was, there was me and this girl, you know, we were like just we each other really and we were still had boyfriends and we were still part of the kind of heterosexual community um but things were starting to shift i think so there was a physical community for me in dundee and i remember i found there was one little poster i came across and it was for the university at the time and it said it's a a gay group at this university, a lesbian and gay group, and I thought, oh, and it had a phone number. So I remember running down to the phone box, little red phone box at the bottom of the road with the 10 pences, and thinking, I'm going to phone them up. And I phoned them up, and it was just, there was no, I phoned a number, and nothing happened. It was like, it was just, the number never existed, or it must have been existed before, and it had been cut off. I remember being really devastated because I was thinking, this is it, I could actually go and speak to somebody and find people like me. So, oh, God, that's quite the same. God, I haven't thought about that for years. <laughs> Obviously, it did. You know what? I have not thought about that for years. I'm amazed I'm getting upset about that. But, yeah, I think, I mean, it was an emotional journey and it was hard you know and I think as you get older you kind of maybe you forget about that a little bit because you start talking about it you know what I mean because that's so funny though because we've been speaking for ages and I haven't felt upset at all but when I think about that particular instance that wasn't upsetting and it felt you know, quite very painful, I suppose, at the time. So, I don't know. But, um, but in saying that, you know, there was, I think I've always found people that at my age at that time that were supportive. So there was a balance. But there was certainly a gap. You know, it was a massive gap about being able to see somebody or speak to somebody that was in, a relationship, you know, a loving relationship, whether it was living together or, you know, to see lesbian and gay 
family or couple was just non-existent. You know, we the people I knew were at my age were supportive, but it was there was no representation. There was no bigger representation in the community, and I think that was very difficult at the time when I think about it. But I'm surprised I've got to say about it because I kind of forgot about it to a certain extent. But yeah. But even at college, there was no an LGBT community. You know, there was obviously lesbian, gay, bisexual people, but it was something that you never had a club or a... You know what I mean? It, people were having relationships, but you really had to find them and you had to be quite tentative and figure out what was going on. Um... So I'd had a few relationships at the time, but often they were quite, well, they were always quite secretive things, you know. They weren't, a, you weren't, a, I certainly was not out and proud, and I never knew anybody else that was, actually, at that time. So it was after I left um, college, um, and I, I, I went travelling, really. That's when... Uh, I'm trying to think of the first time I came across a LGBT community or I find out it's probably when I came back from travelling actually and I was living in Edinburgh that's when I got really involved with the LGBT community and that was amazing you know going into a bar or a club or the Blue Moon Cafe things we were talking about the Laughing Duck I remember the first time I went to the Laughing Duck and just went oh my god I'm shitting myself <laughs> <laughs> But things like that were amazing and the, the Blooming Cafe was an incredible place because it was an ordinary cafe that lesbian and gay members of the LGBT plus community went to. That was probably the first time, um, yeah, that I'd experienced that. So, I don't know, you kind of, I mean, I certainly lived my life. I've had relationships with other women, but... The, I, I wasn't really aware of this community. I had to really look for it, really actively look for it. Um, and in Dundee at that time, I didn't think it existed or I certainly couldn't find it at that age. When I moved to Edinburgh, I got very involved with the LGBT community. Um, I was on youth work at the time, so it was part of the first Stonewall youth project that was set up, and I was talking to you about that earlier, but we did, um, you know, we had a little phone line that we ran every week, and I was on the phone line, so young people would phone up, and um, we'd talk to them about how they were feeling, and if they identified as LGBT. Um, at the time, it was Clause 28, so, you know, we had to be quite careful about what we were saying and trying to be um, supportive, but there was... And, I don't know, I don't know if there was ever a prosecution about Clause 28, but there was certainly that feeling that, you know, there could be or it was something you had to be quite careful, which sounds absolutely ridiculous now. But that youth group was really... A great place, a great project to be involved in, and I think it was totally life changing. And I could remember being involved in it and meeting young people that were kind of 15, 16, and just thinking, God, I wish I had something like this when I was young. It would have been incredible. Um, so it really was an amazing project to be involved in. And also things like Western Wild in Dundee, and Edinburgh, sorry, 
um, the bookshop and the type of events that they put on, the women's disco that happened once a month above the playhouse in Edinburgh. It was just a place that you could go and you could wear anything. You could wear a suit, you could wear a dress, whatever you wanted, it didn't matter. Uh, so getting much more involved in the community. But by that point, I was mid-twenties. I'd, I'd left India, I went travelling. Um, I'd came back and I settled there. And I had uh, probably what I considered to be my first major relationship with another woman. We lived together in Edinburgh. Um, and I was out to everybody, but I still wasn't out of work. I was working in a children's centre at the time with social work and again it was like leading a different life. You had your weekends, you know, your evenings, um, where you were part of the lesbian gay community and you go to work and you just it, I certainly felt it was something that you couldn't talk about. Um nobody else was talking about it. But gradually that shifted for me and I realised that I think as I became more involved in the community and it was like a little wave, a change, it was starting to happen and you realised to be, to continue to make this change happen, you had to be part of it, you know, you had to come out really because that's the only way that people would recognise that lesbian, gay, bisexual people existed is by saying, yeah, that's me, I'm one of them. So from that point on, I was always at work and I always have been. Um... And actually, once I made the decision, it became a positive thing. It definitely became a positive thing because it was it was liberating. And I'm sure lots of other people would say that as well. You know, you join these two parts of your life together and it makes perfect sense. And you kind of think, God, why was that so hard? But at the time, I think having grown up in that era when uh, being gay was just seen as such a negative thing, it was so difficult to just own it yourself was a big step, but actually promoting, promoting it, is that the right word? I don't know, just saying, here, I'm here, I'm queer, you know, that's it sort of thing. That was such a big, a big step. But once you took it out, it was amazing. Yeah, fantastic. So I, I can still remember, you know, going for interviews and saying, yep, I'm a lesbian, this is how I um, define myself. And, it just became something that was a really positive thing. When I was in Dundee, just to go back a wee bit, but when I was in Dundee, I got involved in the minor strike. I got involved in um, some of the kind of political stuff that was going on around that. Um, and I went to little talks and lectures, did fundraising for the minors and all this. And I think then I kind of realised that there's that whole, uh, the whole kind of political landscape that if you move away from what was seen as a norm, whether it's through your sexuality or through your actions, for example, going on strike, the, the press and other people will immediately see you as deviant or um, some kind of threat against society. But actually, if we come together and fight against these things, you know, that's, that's something I learned. I'm not quite sure how to describe that, but it was a real kind of political awakening that actually there's always groups of people that are discriminated against and seen as other and actually it's so important that we come together and you see that now with refugees and asylum because it's almost the same thing, they're portrayed in such a negative one in the press where actually 
that's what used to happen to lesbians and gay men. You know, that these headlines, you could transfer them from our community to other communities now, it's still happening. You know, so I think that was a real um, turning point for me, realising that. So political awareness, kind of critical awareness, critical thinking, critical analysis of what was going on in my life and the wider society really helped me. So the feminist movement is how I kind of got involved in, um, you know, kind of, yeah, in a kind of political understanding, maybe, of what was going on. And actually, this was nothing to do with me. These, this negative, this discrimination or negative feelings I had about myself, it was nothing to do with me. Do you know what I mean? It was just this constant bombardment of negative messages for the society I happened to be living. They never knew anything about me. But I was seen as some kind of freak or, I don't know. So it all fitted together and it continues to for me. I think it's, I think I look back now and I'm so glad I was a lesbian. I'm so glad I was gay, grew up gay in Dundee because it, it made me aware of so many other things in the world. You know, it was like a big eye opener. Once I got myself so to do it, I kind of thought, that's happening to them, that's happening to them. This is the same thing. So... Yeah, it was, it was good. I suppose the women's movement at the time was also seen as a really uh, negative force. You know, it was divisive, it was negative, it was all these like... Well, to be a feminist was associated with being a lesbian. You know, in the press it was like, these lesbians, whether you were a lesbian or not. So, again, it was that thing about listening to older women telling stories about their lives and... I suppose how, yeah, things that they were fighting for, you know, and it all becomes part of the same story, I think, about just recognising that if you want to change anything, you have to fight for it, I suppose. But to live your life openly as a lesbian or a gay man was difficult. So, you know, you to get, if you were, for very simple things like going for uh, your next of kin, you know, to say that you're, female partner was your next to kin was quite difficult, going for bank loans or mortgages or, I mean, it was very complicated. It was like quite simple everyday things that you were fighting for. Um, so the LGBT movement was massive and it was very political. You know, guys were getting arrested, left, front and centre. It was like police operations around cottaging and it was just crazy. And if you did report... Um, homophobia in the street. If somebody's shouting in the street or you go hassles, like a partner of mine got a windows or a car bashed in, the police were absolutely hopeless. You know, it just was not recognised that you were a lesbian or gay couple. So we were fighting against, we are fighting for very tangible, real, everyday rights. And therefore the movement was very strong, I think. Because it had to be. Do you know what I mean? Um, if you, if, and Pride was a protest. That's the slogan, wasn't it? Pride was a protest. But it really was. I mean, to walk... It was the one day of the year where you could walk down the street hand in hand with your lover, your partner, whatever. I mean, it was amazing. So it was liberating. It was absolutely liberating. Um, so I think that's maybe the difference now... I'm not sure, but I think sometimes because 
we might have won, we have won battles, but there's still plenty of battles to be won. But I think because we've won battles, sometimes that, I think the, the politics of the LGBT movement gets a wee bit lost sometimes. In the following episode, we get to know Emma and learn how she forged her own path. So I transitioned three months before I actually saw a gender specialist. And I just walked in the door and I was like, so what do you want us today? So I day? I, I day sometimes think that was a bit crazy because I'm just like, I just got on and did it. I wasn't waiting for anybody to tell me, like, oh, oh I actually think you're a woman, maybe you should transition. No, I figured out I am one. Like, let's just go. And then I, I think life got a bit interesting. Find out just how interesting in episode 3. Thanks for listening to 50 Years of Rainbow Activism. The series was organised by Pink Saltire, funded by the National Lottery Communities Fund Scotland, and special thanks to Our Story Scotland for archiving our interviews at the National Library of Scotland. To find out more or to get involved in similar projects, please visit pinksaltire.com.